Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. At the end of our time in the Gospel of John this semester, we've worked our way, uh, we haven't covered everything, but we've covered a lot, and uh, what we've seen is uh, Jesus reveal who he is in a bunch of different ways, and then we looked at a couple instances where Jesus taught his disciples directly, and uh, tonight we have uh, the last account in John's Gospel. It's the end of John. Jesus has already been crucified and risen from the dead and appeared to his disciples a couple of times at this point. And uh, this is just a really, I love this story. It's uh, really an incredible story. So uh, let's read it. It's from John chapter 21. Uh, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the, in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus... uh, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, Christiana, we have one more slide here. Sorry. Um, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we come now to this text at the end of our semester, and uh, we come from all kinds of places, tired, uh, maybe some of us are actually energized at this point, I don't know. Uh, Some of us uh, feel near to you, and some of us feel far, and uh, we pray that no matter who we are and where we come from tonight, that you would meet us there and use your word to uh, nourish and change our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so at the start of this passage, think about what's gone on so far. Jesus has risen from the dead, and his disciples have seen him a couple of different times, and they're probably wondering what to do next, right? Like, okay, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. Our Lord and Savior is alive. Well, what do we do now? And they decide that one thing they could do now is go fishing. Uh, Some of them are fishermen, after all. And so uh, while they wait to know what to do next, they decide to go fishing. And while these disciples are fishing out on the sea, uh, Jesus shows up on the shore. And there's this miraculous catch of fish, right? He calls out to them, and they don't recognize who he is. And so he says, like, throw, you know, cast your net on the other side. And they catch this miraculous catch of fish. And it's this moment where Peter, like, He's like, I know who that is. It's the Lord. And so he dives out of the boat. Like, he swims 100 yards to get to Jesus. And what we need to know about Peter is that this is St. Peter. Like, this is the most famous Christian ever, maybe. Like, the most famous church in the world is named after this disciple, Peter, Simon Peter. And what you need to know about Peter is that he's kind of this hot and cold disciple. Uh, he's at one, at one moment seemingly like the best disciple and at another moment the worst. And it's like back and forth. Uh, there's this one instant, instance where Jesus at, is with his disciples and he's like, who do people say that I am? And they're like, some people say you're John the Baptist and others say you're Elijah. And Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter is the first one to say, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Lord. And then, like, a sentence later, Jesus is like, I'm going to have to die now. And Peter's like, no, you can't die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And it's like, you know, he's hot. Like, he's the first disciple to know who Jesus is. And he's also the first disciple to be called Satan by Jesus. Uh, There's this moment where Peter says, like, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And Peter's like, I will lay down my life for you. Uh, He says, even though they all fall away, I will not fall away. And in response to that, Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And he does. And it happens just three chapters earlier than the text we just read. Uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. People, it's after Jesus has been arrested and... It's a scary time to be one of his disciples because there's fear that you might get arrested too. And so they're standing around and these people are like, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And he's like, no, I've never met him before. No, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a disciple. Um, Maybe you can relate to that kind of hot and coldness of Peter. You know, maybe you can relate to 
that idea, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I, I feel good about my faith. I, like, I trust him. I'm on fire. I love him. I'll do anything for him. And then, like, you think, like, a week later and you're like, man, where did I lose track of things, right? Or, you know, maybe you find yourself making the biggest mistake of your life and kind of going, living in this world where you go back and forth between commitment and non-commitment or, you know, confidence and fear, uh, confidence and, you know, backing away from God. Uh, Maybe you had high expectations for this semester and this semester was going to be the one where you turn the new leaf and you make God first in your life and as you look back, a lot of what you see is mistakes and failures. Or maybe you have some haunting failures from your past uh, that you carry with you wherever you go. And I want us to just think about failure tonight. Like Peter is a failure here at the end of this gospel. And I want us to think about what do we do with our failures. Uh, and here Jesus shows us what we, we should do with our failures. And it's amazing because he does two things. He confronts Peter's failure head on. And then he invites Peter to rest in his grace. So we're going to look at those two things. He confronts Peter's failure first. Uh, I want you to think about this for a minute. Before this all went down, you know, this whole episode where Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified, what did Peter think about himself? This guy, he said, I'll never fall away. Even if everyone else does, I won't. I'll never deny you, Jesus. Uh, on one hand, he seems to be like a pretty passionate follower of Jesus, right? He seems to be getting it. But if you look at those statements, what you can see is that his faith is really in himself. Like that statement, I'll never deny you, Jesus, is putting a lot of faith in himself. You know, he saw himself as the one person who wouldn't fail, the one person who wouldn't need any help to follow, following Jesus. He didn't see any flaws in himself. Uh, he, he was like, I'm the solid one. He didn't see any cracks in who he was. I wonder if any of you, have any of you guys heard about the housing, uh, the foundation issue in Connecticut with the concrete foundations and the houses? Anybody heard about this? It's a big deal if you live in like this area. So like Mansfield, Coventry, Willington, Tallinn, even out to Manchester. There's, there's this issue where starting in 1983, all the homes that were, or most of the homes that were built had foundations that were poured uh, with concrete from this one quarry in Willington. And what they have now found out is that all the concrete from that quarry contains this this mineral called pyrotite. And pyrotite is really bad for foundations. And basically, all of these homes, 10 or 15 years later, develop cracks in the foundations. And so if you built like a a nice house on this foundation that goes from being worth like, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars to being basically worthless because it's built on this foundation which is cracking, which will crumble and which will take the whole house down with it. And so all these people in our area have found out in the last few years, like, oh no, you know, my house was built in 1998. You know, and it takes like sometimes 15 years to even know that the cracks are there. Um, but the cracks, the, the mineral was there the whole time, you know. So these houses that were worth like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, they were all worth, they were all going to come down the whole time. 
I want you to think about Peter. Peter seems to be a diehard follower of Jesus until Jesus gets arrested. Like that moment when Jesus gets arrested changes everything for him because his life is in danger. You know, all of a sudden it's not good. It's really not good to be associated with Jesus. And we need to see that all that, those circumstances didn't create the problem with Peter. Like Peter was always a Jesus denier. But these circumstances exposed him. Just in the same way that these, you know, these minerals and the concrete are getting now, they were always there. Like these houses were all worthless all along. But now they've been exposed for what they are. Okay, so Peter in this story, he comes ashore. And John, the author, makes a point to mention that Jesus has set up a charcoal fire. And uh, that's kind of a random detail, right? Why did you say charcoal? Like, can't you just say, anytime you see a kind of random detail when you're studying the Bible, you want to pay attention to it because it's always important. And in this case, it's important because uh, John wants us to recall another time when there was a charcoal fire, which was on that night when Peter denied Jesus three times. You know what he was doing? Standing around a charcoal fire. Okay, so imagine what that would be like for Peter. The last time you stood by a charcoal fire, you denied Jesus three times. And then you're coming to shore, and there Jesus is sitting by a charcoal fire waiting for you. Imagine what would be going through his head. Like he's walking ashore, and he'd be thinking, oh no, Jesus knows exactly what I've done. Jesus is purposely reminding Peter of his failure here. Like, you got to see that. Jesus is intentionally reminding Peter of his failure. And why would he do that? Like, Jesus loves Peter, right? Why would he do that? Because before Peter can be restored, he needs to confront his need for restoration. Because Peter's like us. He probably felt horrible about what he'd done, but the horrible feeling would probably fade over time. Like, he probably felt horrible then, but he probably would have just, like, gotten over it after a while, and he would still be that faulty foundation full of pyrotite. How do you handle or confront your failures? Do you resist them? Do you cast your failure aside, or do you, are you able to embrace it? Jesus is actually inviting you here to embrace your failure. And the reason is because the second thing he invites us to do is rest in his grace. So uh, he invites us to embrace our failures so that he can invite us to rest in his grace. Um, he reminds Peter that he's restored and forgiven here. And this is kind of also in a way that you might not see on the surface uh, because there's a strange thing that Jesus does with Peter. I wonder if you thought it was strange. The do you love me thing. Do you love me? How many times has he asked Peter that question? Three times. Why would Peter ask, why would Jesus ask Peter a question three, the same question three times? It has to do with the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times. It's this way of Jesus actually undoing Peter's failure for him. It's amazing. Peter doesn't get it. He doesn't see what's going on. He's like, Lord, you know how I love you. You know how I love you. And he does it three times uh, to show Peter what 
this is all of like what Jesus is all about. This is what the cross is about. This is what the resurrection is about, is Jesus undoing our failure for us. It's about him covering the failure with his goodness. On the cross, Jesus undoes all of our failures in this amazing way. Like you could boil down all of Christianity, the essence of Christianity to Jesus being our substitute so that we can live. And it shows us something about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Christians are people who give up on themselves and then they become great. That's what greatness is. The first step to greatness is giving up on yourself. And there's a danger in this passage because you might read it and kind of say like, wow, that's great. Even a guy like Peter can be used by Jesus. And if you come to that conclusion, you would be missing the point. It's not that even a guy like Peter can be used by Jesus. The point here is only a guy like Peter can be used by Jesus. Only someone who is a failure, so much so that it can't be buried or hidden, will ever come to Jesus. That's the only reason you would ever come to Jesus to be saved. That's why the poor people and the sinners and the Gospels love Jesus. That's why the rich people and the religious people hate Jesus. Because Jesus invites failures to come to him and rest. But if you're not a failure, you won't come. You won't see your need for a savior. You won't need someone to cover your life for you. I want you to look at how Jesus acts toward Peter here. Like how he responds to Peter. Uh, Peter comes up, like, first of all, Jesus provides a massive feast. Like hundreds of fish to eat. And he's like cooking. Peter comes ashore and Jesus is like making him a feast. For Peter, the denier, uh, Jesus' love for Peter hasn't changed in the slightest because of Peter's failure. Uh, It says something about Jesus' love for us. He loves us not because of our successes or fail, you know, lack or lack of successes or whatever, but because we belong to him. He doesn't love Peter because he's lovable. He loves Peter because Peter is his. He's trusted in Jesus. He belongs to Jesus Uh, We have a book that we read to our kids sometimes called Just Because You're Mine. It's a story of a dad squirrel and his son. And the dad squirrel and the son are off playing in each page. Like the son is showing his dad what he can do. And he's like, you know, he says, Dad, why do you you love me? Because I can jump from tree to tree. And the dad always says like, oh, you can, you're a really good jumper, but that's not why I love you. Turn the page. Like, do you love me because I can spin around in circles? Oh, you're a really good spinner, but that's not why I love you. Uh, you know, do you love me because I'm so handsome? You know, you are super handsome, but that's not why I love you. And at the end, he says, I love you just because you're mine. And why do I want my kids to read that book, right? Because that's, you know, like they need to be secure in that kind of love to thrive. And that's, that's what love is. That's the kind of love that God gives to his children too. Like we model it because God made us for it. Why does Peter move toward Jesus? Because Peter knew enough to know that even in his failure, that Jesus still loved him. That he belonged to Jesus. 
Now, Jesus had looked into Peter's heart to the bottom of it, and he covered it. I wonder, what are you carrying with you tonight? Uh, What guilt are you carrying with you? What shame have you brought with you tonight? I want you to know that Jesus looks at you, he sees all the way into the black pit of your heart, and he covers it. He covers your sin. He pays the debt for your sin. That's the kind of love that will melt your heart and restore you in the midst of your sin. I want, you, I want us to just close by thinking about what, what will it do to you? I want you to look at what it did to Peter. Did you find it amazing? Like, the result of this is that like, Jesus said, feed my sheep, which is a way of saying, I want you to be the leader of my church. And, you know, if you know Peter, you should be like, what? Peter is a failure. Like, he's the one who, he gets it wrong so often and so badly. He should be the least qualified person to lead the church. But instead, Jesus says, actually, no, you're the most qualified. Because you failed so bad that you now have to rest in my grace. And that makes you a great person. Uh, And Peter actually becomes someone who stands up boldly for Jesus. Like, if you trust church history, you know, there's this thing at the end of this passage about how Jesus says, like, when you're older, like, you will, he essentially tells Peter, like, you're going to die. And if you trust church history, you, you would, you know, we know that Peter actually was crucified. Some say he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the way that my Savior died. Why is St. Peter so great? Because he was a failure that was shown grace by Jesus. Uh, The love of Jesus that's not dependent on how you look or what you've done. It's this love that's dependent on who Jesus is. So I want to ask you tonight, do you want to be great? If so, embrace your failure as soon as possible. And rest in Jesus as your only hope. Don't cover it up. Tell someone about it. Tell God about it first, but maybe tell some other people too. Don't be afraid to let people see who you really are because the gospel is that Jesus invites failures to a feast, just like in this story. The good news of the gospel is that only failures get invited to the feast. Only people with messed up lives will seek healing. Only failures can look at the cross and say, that's exactly what I need. I just need... a." a substitute. Uh, And only failures can be used for God's glory. I want you to think about how that might look as we close. Uh, Let's say you embrace this gospel that says Jesus welcomes failures uh, because of his grace. He invites failures to be transformed and to be different by his grace. And let's say you embrace that and you come across someone with a really messed up life. Someone or someone who's really difficult to love. What will you think of them? If you're transformed by the gospel, you'll think, you know, I'm a failure. Jesus welcomes failure. You'll look at them and say, that could easily be me. And you'll love them and be patient with them. Uh, Jonathan and I went to the no-freeze shelter to drop off all the... We've, 
we gathered like 150 something paper towels in our drive and it was amazing and uh, Jonathan and I delivered them to the no freeze shelter a couple Saturdays ago and I was just struck by there was a there were a lot of the homeless people either in the shelter or hanging around and and there was a part of me that was just really struck by how rough these people had it. Like, these were people, you just looked at them and you knew, like, there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened in this person's life. Like, they're in a really rough spot. You could tell just by hearing them talk or looking at them. And I had to catch myself because the gospel says that they're not a bigger failure than me. The people at the Wyndham No Freeze Shelter are not bigger failures than you or me. And that's why we can love them. That's why we should do things like raise supplies up for them. And that's really what RUF needs to be all about. Like, if, if we could say, like, what is RUF about? I hope we would say that RUF is a community of failures that have been welcomed to a feast by the king. Like, that's, that's what RUF should be about. That's what it can be about if we embrace this gospel. So I, I just want to close by asking you, are you someone that can say, I'm a failure? And be okay with that. Uh, if you can't, you'll never really love Jesus. And you probably won't really like being a Christian. Uh, but if you can say, yeah, it's true about me. I am a failure. Uh, you'll come to see the love of Jesus. Jesus will meet you in that place, and the people around you will see it too, and they'll start to love Jesus more too. And that's what—that's uh, how I, we want to be changed. That's what we want our UF to be about. So uh, let me close by praying that God would work that transformation in us tonight. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would... Uh, work in our lives so that we can be okay being messed up and that we can admit our failure readily rather than just living the lie of cover-up like we tend to do so often. And we pray as we embrace our failure that we would meet your grace in Christ and that that would transform us and that you would make us truly great I pray for these students, even as they think about what greatness is in college and uh, just face all this onslaught of these different definitions of greatness, and I just pray that they would embrace your definition and that you would do amazing things through this group. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.